You're listening to the Footprint Coalition's Downstream channel. Today, we're continuing our deep dive into humanity's relationship with meat. Robert and Rachel, please welcome Isha Datar. As a pioneer of cellular agriculture, the field of animal products made without animals, Isha has learned from a vast array of experiences. She co-founded Perfect Day, which produces milk without cows, and Clara Foods, which makes eggs without chickens. Currently, Datar serves as executive director of New Harvest, a non-profit research institute building the field of cellular agriculture. We brought her on to help us understand the way we make animal products and how we can reinvent that process to better our diets and our planet. It's really you. God bless us. Where does this find you? Where are you presently, dear? I am in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, the northernmost metropolis in North America. It snowed a few days ago, but the snow is gone and the weather is good. Spring is here. Okay. Okay. You know, we have our quotes of the day here and you use that Carl Sagan quote, if you want to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first create the universe. I'm sure that's not for no reason. Now, what does that mean in the context and the realm and the sector of cellular agriculture? That is an awesome question. So what it, what it meant for me was a question of approach in the work that I do. Um, so back when I started all of this 2013, um, I was tasked with the idea of how do we make meat grown from cells? And Carl's quote made me realize that we don't create meat from cells by me going in the lab multiplying cells. We create it by creating the universe um, from which cell cultured meat arises, which means how do we bring together the researchers, the philanthropists, the investors, the future consumers, the marketers, the da da da, all these people um, who come together and unite around this idea of realizing foods from cell cultures. And so that has really informed my approach with New Harvest. Um, I think of us as an ecosystem accelerator um, where we accelerate some entrepreneurs, but also a lot of other people that we need to make this technology real. New Harvest, indeed. A little background. How does one ever even arrive at this place of world building? What has your path been there? Are you surprised and delighted at where you're at now, etc.? But first, a bit of background. How do you wind up doing this? <laughs> so, um, you know how when you reach a certain age, like your parents and your whole path and all these things all line up and you never thought they did or you rejected this them for a long time. This is what we've been mm -hmm. talking about all day is this idea of person, moment, vehicle, uh, timing, uh, synchronicity. I yes, had a friend who used continue. to call it force bunching, which basically just meant like all the forces were coming together and converging in one place and it, it was inevitable at that point. Yes, more on your force bunching, please. The, the hand signal is perfect because it's all these things swirling together, coming together. And um, so I grew up here in Edmonton, Alberta. It's a real oil and gas and cattle ranching place. And I grew up thinking oil and gas was just the worst thing for the environment and really caring about climate change. Well, be before I knew what climate change was, just caring about the environment in general. Um, and I do things like bike to school, which is completely unreasonable here, um, for example. Um, but my mom is a horticulturalist and my dad is a, uh, did a pharmacology degree and is a doctor. And when you kind of bring together those things, it, it does lead you to a world of 
producing foods using cell cultures, <laughs> I think. Um, and so I learned about this because I was doing a cell biology degree and randomly decided to take a meat science class because I saw a poster for it on the wall. And I thought, you know, food is biology and why is nothing related to food offered in my faculty? Like it's, this is the kind of biology I interact with every day and I can talk about with anybody. And so I took this course and within the first couple of classes, I was just blown away that so much of the earth is used to raise animals for food. Um, and just kind of felt shocked and surprised that all this time I was thinking about oil and gas and biking and doing my little piece uh, around transportation when I had a Hummer in my kitchen, as people say, um, and meat consumption and dairy consumption, all that stuff was actually such a huge contributor to that. And changing that did not require completely rebuilding cities or changing like everyone's lifestyle. Um, changing that meant changing the products and changing the processes and reinventing all of that. And so my professor actually just at the end of one class one day, he said, oh, or maybe one day we could grow meat from cells. And I was just like, that was the, the force cruncher, <laughs> whatever the word was <laughs> that you, that was the thing that brought it all into uh, focus. All into one Petri dish. Yeah. Force buncher. Yeah. It, it got it all into one little narrow point, And I thought that's the thing. It's going to happen. It's just about when and how and who does it. And so I, I went on to write a term paper. It was actually just like the assignment for the class. What is the future of meat? I wrote all about it. I was I'd the only student in that agriculture class who came from the faculty of science. So my peers were like uh, veterinary students, nutrition students. I was the only one who, who was really used to like looking at tissue, what was happening in tissue engineering and cell culture. And I put together this paper and sent it to the person who was running New Harvest at the time, um, whose name is Jason Matheny. And he emailed me back. He said, this is such an awesome paper. He CC'd half the scientists I had cited in the paper. And suddenly they were doing this like peer review. They're like, you should consider this. And what if we use nuclear energy for that and da da da. And I was just blown away because the topic was so cool. The people were so awesome. They didn't ask me how old I was or where I came from or what lab I studied in. Like exactly. the whole ivory tower had like blown up underneath me. Um, and I felt really like part of this, you know, nascent universe. And I really wanted to just carry that forward. And so, Skipping ahead a few years, uh, I eventually applied to be the first full-time staff at um, New Harvest as executive director. And since then, it's just been, you know, how do we empower people to join this new field? You know, two moments you're talking about. One is the personal aha of why not me? Why can't I be the person to lead that field from where I am? And then that moment of that other Michelangelo finger coming in and saying, I, I see you, Navi, we are with you. And now we are one and we're moving together. And, and here you are now, you know, so much of what we're exploring are the subtleties and the synchronicities and those kind of soul moments where you go, I don't know how, and it seemed random. And yet there was a creative intelligence at play here and there is intent. So I want to imagine that the universe wants us to lean hard into cellular agriculture and acellular agriculture. Can you please distinguish the two for us? So I think of cellular agriculture as the broader making agricultural products from cells. 
And I think that breaks down into two big categories. Um, I say cellular products are where the products themselves are made of cells. So meat is made of muscle cells, leather is made of skin cells, fibroblasts and things like that. Fat is made of fat cells most of the time, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And then uh, the acellular stuff is where the product is not a cell, but it, it is some kind of protein or fat molecule or whatever. And so for instance, milk, milk does not contain any cellular products. Um, it's just made of a handful of proteins, casein and whey proteins mixed with water and a bunch of other things. Um, so acellular agriculture means you can produce those proteins using microorganisms as a cell culture that have been engineered to produce those proteins. We do that all the time. Um, I would say the first time we did it was in the 80s when we were producing insulin um, through cell culture, which I argue is the first cellular agriculture product because that used to come from pancreases, um, from farmed animals. Um, so that's kind of... Like we know how to do that. We don't know how to do it at the scale of milk and eggs. Like that's what is underway right now. Um, and then the cellular product, which is producing meat for the most part is pretty new because that is tissue engineering. Tissue engineering as a field is pretty new. And that's growing those animal cells um, to form these complex tissues that we can then consume. And since we're just talking about naming for a second before we go into a little more of the technical stuff, um, how did, what was the process by which you came up with the term cellular agriculture? Because that seems to be the winner among lab-grown yeah. meat. Yeah. Like chicken dinner. Like that. <laughs> so that process was very fun and I think speaks well to the universe point, like this ecosystem point, because when people ask me, what did you do the first year at New Harvest? I say, the only thing I really did was make a Facebook group. Um, but that Facebook group is the one that named this field. So back then I realized, you know, we were always talking about in vitro meat all the time. And I realized that it wasn't actually about meat. It was about this whole field of study that would lead us towards the meat. So we needed to come up with a word for like that field, um, you know, like, biotechnology, but for, but for, but for like these products. And so um, I just went to the Facebook group and said, what should we call this thing? Like if there was an institute at a university, what would it be the institute of? And there were tons of names back and forth, like, I don't even bio this and edible that. Um, and it was, it was I, I don't remember all of them exactly, but cellular agriculture was one I just like threw out there. Um, and it actually got lost in the mix. And then some people came back saying, hey, I really like that one because it can be shortened to sell egg. And it, it really just like gets to the point really easily. And people were just kind of plus wanting it. And so we just started using it and no one asked any questions. No one was like, what does that mean? And so it kind of stuck. So that's that's how it came to be. I don't know if it'll stick forever, but for now it's been useful. <laughs> it seems, I mean, in, in our vernacular, it's part of the furniture now. I want to stop because it's funny, you know, all this that we know now, we're not as smart as we think we are. We tend to be smart in groups, but it's also funny how you can bring something to a smart group and they will drop the best idea to the bottom of the turlet 
and flush it. And then someone later will say, you know that thing we flushed? That might not have been such a bad idea. And then it turns out it was exactly what the group was supposed to come up with. So, I mean, look, I know it's not an exact science, but can you give us an idea of you wake up in the morning and you walk into the and put on your and begin to work on the I mean, like, take us on a, a, a some portion of a, a day in the life. Sure. Um, so this is a day in the pandemic life. So I wake up. Uh, I have a almost two year old son. I have to deal with his needs in the morning. So whatever he wants to eat or do or direct me to do, watch TV, whatever. Um, I'm usually already looking at my emails and Slack and all that kind of stuff, connecting with the team. Um, And by around 8 a.m. my time, I'm online connecting with the team. The team is very small at New Harvest. We are about 11 people. Um, I have no real interest in growing the team much bigger than that because I think of us as like a special ops team that pursues really targeted interventions that gets things going. And we're, we kind of change every six months. Um, and that's the way I like it. Like I, by change, I mean, the people don't change, but the work we do, we do changes. It's like connective tissue and then it just adapts to wherever it needs to be. Yeah. 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 I mean, we just want to spark things and get things and then it goes and lives without us. And so at any given time, we're, we might be having a couple of meetings with some cool collaborators somewhere in the world. Um, we always work across time zones. If it's on a Tuesday, we're connecting our whole uh, group of fellows who are around 25 researchers scattered all over the planet working on growing meat from cells. Um, and then and then that's about it for the day. Um, in the without the pandemic, I used to travel quite a lot because, sure. to me, a big part of ecosystem building is being that like mortar between the bricks and like doing facilitating a lot of intros, connecting a lot of people to one another, um, seeing what the common issues are, so we can aim that targeted intervention at that issue. Um, so that networking, I think, is totally crucial at this point in time. Okay, now imagine that we are past this interstitial phase. We are in the new normal. The cellular agriculture uh, lab is open. So here's what I'm trying to get at. I have a natural knee-jerk reaction. Now, I know Soylent Green was made out of people. I get it. Um, but what I'm saying is, how can you demystify that initial balk that people might have at, well, I want this, but I'm used to it meaning this to me, and then it will mean that. So why is this a necessary uh, replacement? And how do we demystify whatever concerns people might have about its ick factor? That is a huge question that, like, on one hand, you're dealing with the surface, as you say, like, gut reaction of, am I going to put this thing in my mouth? And on the other hand, you're dealing with like all the data that people might want to see that helps people get past that ick factor. But in terms of, you know, this is just my opinion, but in terms of that very initial, am I going to put this thing in my mouth? Um, I don't know if the people I'm talking about would like for me to tell this story, but um, yesterday was actually the anniversary of New Harvest um, helping Perfect Day Foods get started. And we, I just actually popped out of a, a little joint happy hour party we were having with them just this second. Um, 
and they are working on producing milk and cell culture. And very early on, I tasted like a sample of milk that was created from milk protein separately co combined with water. And when I tasted it, it was like, this is like, I, I was like gagging. It was not amazing. And I thought this is just version 1.0. So like, it's not gonna be like this forever. Um, but by contrast, the first time I tasted cultured meat, it was in the form of a steak chip. So it was like a potato chip, like it was crunchy, very small, crispy. And I had no hesitation about putting that in my mouth because it was just so different that there was no like, is this a fake thing? It was just like a, a new thing. And I don't know, sometimes things that are crunchy, I feel like you can get away with eating whatever kind of thing if it's crunchy. <laughs> or if it's deep fried, it's like, oh, the barriers. Yeah. That's kind of a good point about actually the the idea that you could make some other meat maybe that doesn't yes. currently exist. You can just go really far afield and eat, you know, some fantastical animal. And would it be vegan? The vegan question, I mean, really depends on why a person is vegan. Like we're breaking all barriers here with what is vegan, what is vegetarian, what is what. Um, so I think that's kind of a personal question. So I have no idea because I'm not vegan. Um, but the, uh, the snack thing I really like because it ties into kind of the second part of your question, which is how do you get people to want this? You know, snack foods have so much packaging and so much storytelling associated with it. Whereas when you buy meat at the store, there's almost no storytelling associated with it. So, you know, it kind of gets to this broader question of how do we put these products in the market where we can have a lot of storytelling, offer a novel experience, and hopefully also mention that this is better for the world. Um, and this unleashes like a whole new technology that can transform our relationship with animals and with the environment and with meat. Couldn't agree more. Uh, and we'd like to be part of that. And that's why we're thrilled to have you as a guest. Can this get to market before the plant-based products take over and everyone's eating an Impossible Whopper or Beyond Meat McPlant Burger, etc. This seems to me, in many ways, like the most vital missing integer in trying to... And, and by the way, it was interesting to me, too, that, that you had heard someone saying, and why don't we use uh, nuclear to uh, to try to get part of the process because I was listening to a TED talk today and I just need to keep reminding myself that again, you know, it was just bad marketing. And again, that disgust response and people make the association between nuclear and weapons as opposed to the more you look at it, the, the, the better and better it looks if we look at it in the context of the new nuclear and all the innovations that are made. Now, people say we would do that, but there's no market for it because it's got bad PR. So the nice Nice thing is there isn't already a prehistory with cell ag. See, it does work where people are saying, oh, we, we tried that and it wasn't okay. So storytelling wise, you really get this one shot to make it seem normal. And there's never been a better time than now. So um, what sorts of things would you hope will be occurring in your field and what sort of median level of acceptance and... Um, and, and, and this coming into seeming more like the norm would, would be satisfying? That is an awesome question. And I don't know if my peers would agree with my opinion. Um, and so what I'm getting at is I think a lot of people want to 
talk about this as normal by rooting it in meat, milk, and eggs as we know it today. I think we should embrace it for the opportunity it presents us and the technology it presents us and all the story behind it and kind of be open to leaving meat, milk, and eggs as concepts like behind. Um, and what does that look like exactly? I have no idea. But what I what I think it looks like is, you know, the meat in, or the food industry right now is really reliant on consumers telling them what to do. And in my opinion, consumers don't always know what they want. Like the way they report that they eat and what they actually do when they buy food in the grocery store is often totally different. Um, consumers will say things like, I want to consume, you know, the most fattiest foods with the least amount of fat in it. Or I want to consume really sweet foods that have no sugar in it. I mean, these things don't add up or make sense. And it leads us to creating fat substitutes and sugar substitutes and like things like that, that I don't think make any sense. Alternatively, I think what's driving a lot of these companies is that this is a thing the world needs and wants, not necessarily a thing the consumer has asked for. And so we have to figure out how do we tell the story that what the consumer wants is what the world needs. I don't know even what that looks like. I think it requires a lot of creativity, a lot of like novel storytelling, interesting people telling the story. I do not think it means consumer research or trying to you know fit into these existing boxes of like, yeah, let's put a farm on our package and yeah, let's call it natural. Like I don't, you know, I think we should run away from that. Mm-hmm. To put a fine point on the thing that uh, I was getting at before about fantastical meat, I mean, is there, you can imagine that kind of thing being captivating for a consumer. Like, this has never been tried before. People try things that they haven't tried before all the time. Chickpea yogurt or whatever it is. <laughs> and so, you know, are there things that you imagine, what could it be, in, you know, in the realm of things that get currently poached or things that are just, you know, something that could be really marketed well and differently that you are like, that should, that should be a part of this journey. So there's a, there's actually a company in Australia called Val Foods that's working on like Galapagos turtle dumplings and like kangaroo steaks and stuff like that. I love what they're doing because they're really trying to tell that story of like, this is unleashing a whole new era of culinary creativity. But what I, I don't know what product I would ask for. I always go back to this, like before we had fermentation, we could have never looked at a glass of milk and wanted it to be stinky and melty with like veins of mold going through. Like we could have never envisioned cheese. And so I'm like, if we have this cell culture technology, what are the things that we could have literally never fathomed because we never had the tools to make them? That's the thing I want to eat. I mean, the, the steak chip, I, I didn't, I never considered the steak chip before I had one. Um, so that, I guess that's a good example of a thing um, that I'd like to consume. But what is a little bit different than the chickpea yogurt example that you raised is that you're eating a thing that didn't exist even before. Like chickpea yogurt, someone somewhere ate chickpeas. Um, but this is like, you are amongst the first, you know, fewer people have eaten this than have been on the moon. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Yeah. See, I gotta say, this is why, love ya, you're so necessary in this transition because 
all of your intuitive drives are saying, let's transcend template. If we're talking about creating the future, then let's not try to make, you know, let's not try to make everything look like it did before and seek comfort. Let's make it an adventure in consciousness and let's rebuild the whole thought sphere around what we're doing, what we're eating, what we think we're eating. Because by the way, you've, here's the crazy thing, Isha, you've said steak chip now twice. I now have a neuro pathway in my mind that goes steak chip, acceptable, because you've said it more than once. And I also heard you say you ate it and it was crunchy and no problem. Now we're going, she ate it, crunchy, no problem, steak chip, steak chip, I'm in. Like that's pioneering. You don't seem like someone who wants to get in where you fit in. You seem like someone who wants to blaze new trails. Thank you, Robert. That means a lot. <laughs> so here's my, my question about that is uh, what could possibly go wrong? Huge I question. I don't even know. And actually, if I really think back to why I got into this, I had, so I had learned about um, this idea of growing meat from cells from my poultry science professor. But I had also just watched the movie, The Corporation, which if you remember, talks about Monsanto and GMOs and ownership and like, can you patent the seed and da 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 da. And I really saw how cellular agriculture had this enormous capacity to change the world for the better. But it also introduced ownership in ways that the food industry had never seen before corporate consolidation in the way in ways the food industry had seen before. And those things tend to lead to less transparency and like questionable stuff and all these things. And so I, I you know, I think what drove me most um, to pursue a career in this field was that I thought this was inevitable and I wanted to steer it in a direction that allowed it to realize the most positive impact. And so what can go wrong is like, I, we don't have enough time to talk about what could go wrong because so many things could go wrong and so many factors are related to what can go wrong. But I'm optimistic because this field is new enough that all of the players in it. So in the past seven years, seven, eight years that I've been in this, we've gone from zero to one and a half billion dollars of investment maybe 150 companies around the world, maybe 50 academic researchers in the world. Like it's really zero to whatever, a lot in the past few years. And all of those people, you know, all of the people in this growing universe all care about the right thing happening. That won't last forever. Um, but while we do have that momentum right now, I think we can do some like really interesting collective actions that help us get on the path of realizing the best future. You know, one of the things I was very, very worried about was safety. You know, if that first product comes out, that first steak chip makes someone sick, how many decades will we be held back? And how many decades will we wait for this to be realized? Uh, who, who knows? So safety is something we cannot compromise on. It is totally pre-competitive and we're in a place where no products on the market. So there's no dollars on the line where people are like, no, I don't want to make it, you know, I don't want to spend the time or an effort to do this. We can really pull people together and figure out how do we do this safe? How do we hold ourselves to a super high standard um, so that when we do put things on the market, we're, we're on the path towards better for everyone. 
Yeah, I would say too, as a, as a counterpoint, you know, what could go wrong less than already has with the internet and AI, because you're actually getting out ahead of it and trying to think of standards and practices and, and you know, so. That is exactly the thing I've been thinking about lately because that genie is out of that bottle. The cell egg genie is still in the bottle. So we can still, you know, tell, I don't know what the, what the parallel story is for genies, but we can still figure out what happens before before it's let out. Um, trying to govern what's going on with the internet is totally, I don't know how that's gonna happen, um, but we have that opportunity right now. And going back to this idea of creating the universe, the way we do that is also elevating and educating policymakers you know, creating champions who have this interdisciplinary awareness of what cellular agriculture is and maybe deep knowledge in it and expertise in safety and expertise in like how to inspect a facility and expertise in regulatory, whatever policy, all these kinds of things. That is going to be what helps us create this proper structure to release this technology into the world. Like look at how they're trying to regulate Facebook now. Like no one is equipped with the knowledge to combine those things together to figure it out. Like that, that comes from accelerating companies alone and not the whole ecosystem. When do you think this genie comes out of the bottle officially? Like when is, when is our products going to be on the market? So the genie is a little bit leaking out of the bottle already. Um, there is a product that was approved for regulatory or approved for sale in Singapore by a company called Eat Just. And so they're serving it in a very exclusive restaurant in Singapore right now. Um, but, you know, I, I really think over the next five years, we're gonna just see more and more of these exclusive tastings happening, maybe, you know, very short run products. Perfect Days Salag ice cream came out in 20, June, 2019. It was like sold out immediately. So we're gonna just see these like little bursts of products. I think it's gonna be a while before we see something really reliably on store shelves the way we're seeing with Impossible and Beyond, um, but it's getting out there into the real world. So, you know, very soon, like the, the, the timeline for figuring out things like standards and safety and all that kind of stuff is right this second. And that's why we're glad to be a part of it. Yeah, we're big fans and I'm hoping that we'll do a field trip whether it has to do with legislation or a product launch or uh, whatever uh, more shall be revealed. What is your boy's name? Oh, my son's name is Marcel. Marcel, I think your mom is brilliant and she's changing the world. So we got our eye on you too, kid. <laughs> I hope, uh, I know, we're just going to stay in touch. This is a great interview and it's given me so much to think about. And uh, just know that we're, you know, we're joining arms with you and we're going to go down this uh, road of happy destiny and, and wind up in the right spot more than likely. Thank you so much, Robert and Rachel. This was a really great interview. It, it went deep in ways that um, I don't always get to go deep. So thank you so much for the creative opportunity. Tell us one more thing. Since you're a meat eater right now. Yes. What, what's, what are your current constraints around meat eating? Like, what are you looking for since we're in this version 1.0 of meat? I've been on a long journey of like, how should I be handling my diet in my role? You know, I've explored veganism, vegetarianism. Since I've been back in Canada, my husband's 
my husband is Métis, which means his dad is indigenous. And so on Christmas, I ate Canadian goose for, for dinner and I, we've been eating moose and stuff like that. So I, I've moved into a phase of just non-judgmental um, consuming because I really do feel like if we want to see change in the world, it's not really fair to put it on individual consumers to have the weight of the world and what happens on, on like the, the dinner decisions that we make. It really has to come from policy, amazing options in the grocery store and you know, this like global energy for how we should be eating. And so it, I just released myself from that whole thing because it's so taxing to think about the best way to eat. It's, it's, it's too much, it's too much for me. Free your mind and your egg will follow. Yes. <laughs> Isha, it is truly a pleasure. Expect us to be back in touch. And uh, on behalf of Footprint Coalition, we thank you for your participation. Thank you so much. Thanks, Isha. That was great.